We have an anchor that keeps the soul steady. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. The psalmist said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. If you're in darkness and you can't see, the only thing to do is turn the light on. The world in which we live is engulfed in spiritual darkness. The reason being because the God of this age as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And so John would say in 1 John chapter 5 that the world lies under the sway of the wicked one. In other words, the world is engulfed in spiritual darkness. So if we're going to make our way from earth to heaven, then we've got to look to the light, don't we? Jeremiah said many years ago, it's not in man that walketh, to direct his own steps. So in order for us to get from earth to heaven, we've got to have a map. We have that map, it's called Scripture. So tonight as we think about the light, the light of God's Word, and how ultimately the light of God's Word provides us with the direction that we need to get safely home. Let me just call attention to some characteristics of God's Word. And why I believe it's so imperative that we treasure this book. And you remember Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 23, Buy the truth and sell it not. Solomon's saying that there is a premium that we ought to place on God's holy word. With that in mind, let me begin by first of all saying, the psalmist talks about our awe of Scripture. In Psalm 119, 161, listen to what the psalmist of old said about his perception as it related to the Word of God. He said, My heart stands in awe of your Word. And the idea is, he reverenced or respected God's Word. Now what I want to say tonight is, this book that I hold in my hand is not an ordinary book. There is not another book on the shelf today that compares to this book that we call the Bible. And the reason is because this book is God breathed. You remember Paul said all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. So this book is a revelation of the mind of God. Now I would grant that we can know that there's a God on the basis of the world in which we live. It doesn't take an Einstein to realize somebody fashioned this world. Just like somebody designed and built this building. Somebody, someone designed and built the world. That someone was God. Genesis 1.1 tells us, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. So we know something about the God of heaven and His power. But we can't necessarily understand the mind of God unless we have revelation. So when you think about this book, Peter would say in the long ago, holy men of God spoke as they were moved or borne along by the Holy Spirit. David said, the Spirit of the Lord was on my tongue. 
In other words, he was guided, superintended by the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, you think about standing in awe of the Word of God. There are a lot of folks in the world today, I would freely grant, they view this book as nothing more than a fable, a collection of stories. And they have, in many respects, reduced it to nothing more than myth. I don't believe that. And I believe a thorough investigation of this book will leave one with the conclusion, this is the divine word of Almighty God. Now, I know that there are a lot of people that don't stand in awe or respect of this word, because if they did, they wouldn't take God's name in vain. They wouldn't kill and steal and lie and cheat, etc. God has given us parameters. Those parameters, this binary code that God has imposed upon His creation, it's intended to help us, not hurt us. It is intended to bless us and not curse us. So it begins by standing in awe of God's Word. So I think about, first and foremost, our awe of the Word of God. But then, secondly, he talks about his affection for God's Word. He said, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of shekels of gold and silver. Imagine that. Here is the psalmist in the long ago saying, look, I treasure, I value your word more than an abundance of gold and silver. You think people think that way today? I mean, if people had a choice today to have monetary gain over the word of God, what would they choose? The psalmist expressed his affection for God's word. Down in verse 10, in about verse 103, he talks about how God's Word is sweeter to His mouth than honey. In verse 97, he said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The psalmist had a tremendous love for God's Word. If we genuinely cherish and love the Word of God, then what will we do? We'll spend time reading, studying, meditating the great truths of Almighty God. We will mind these great truths, won't we? So the psalmist talked about his awe for the Word of God, his affection for God's Word. But then there's a third thing I want to share with you. What about the aim of God's Word? What is the aim of Scripture? Listen again to the psalmist. Your Word is a light, or rather, your Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. And the idea here is that God's Word illuminates our pathway in life. There are, some, there are some things about the Word of God that ought to inspire and encourage us. Now, if you go back and look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul said, all Scripture given by inspiration of God, listen to him, is profitable. Profitable for what? Well, for reproof, correction, instruction, in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. God's Word has the ability to make us what we ought to be in His eyes, doesn't it? And the intent of God is that we will take this book, use it as a guide, a GPS, a map, so that we might plot our way along life's course, ultimately arriving safely at our destination known as heaven. So what about the Word of God? When I open this book, are there some things that I can come away from? Number one, I would suggest yes. By way of counsel, doesn't the Word of God counsel us? 
You think about people today that spend a lot of money at therapists. They go for counseling sessions. There are a lot of different counselors. I am not a counselor. I, I, don't, have, I don't have the patience or the ability to counsel folks in a lot of different areas of life. I can tell people what the Bible says, but I'm not a trained counselor. But there are people that will go to a counselor because they have low self-esteem. They're looking for self-worth. Don't you think that the Word of God, when you look deeply into this Word, do you not believe that God's Word counsels us, lets us know that we've been made in the image and the likeness of God, that we're not just a piece of slime, as some would say, but rather we are of great value in the eyes of God, so much so that He sent His Son to die for our sins. So there is a sense of self-worth and self-esteem that we can draw from reading Scripture to think that there is a God in heaven who loves us, who cares about us, who is genuinely interested in our welfare, one to whom we can turn for guidance, one in whom we can lean upon in tough times. I think about David in Psalm 55, when David said, cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. Is that not good counsel for people who are hurting in the world today? So you think about the Word of God has the ability to counsel and also to comfort. How many times have you gone to the Scripture to find comfort and solace when you have been hurting in life? Maybe you've been bearing the baggage of guilt. Maybe you've been dealing with some difficulty in life. And you don't feel like you can go on and you're looking for comfort, encouragement. And there are times in life when there's no one to lean upon, no one to turn to. And yet I hear Peter saying that we can cast all our care on him and the reason is because he cares for us. There's a God who genuinely cares about us. The writer of Romans chapter 15, Paul, in verse 4 said that those things that were written before time were written for our learning. That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Paul said God is a God of mercy and the God of all comfort. So we can turn to God. And I think about some of the great men and women of God in days gone by that have struggled in life. There have been some folks, they've been, in, they've been down in the valley. Some have been on the mountaintop. Life is not about being on the mountaintop every day. There are valleys in life. And so I can listen to the writings of David and others, and I can draw strength and comfort. I can hear David talk about, no one cares for me. Refuge has failed me. Sometimes that's our perception, but we go to Scripture, we find comfort in knowing that there's a God who cares, there's a God who can comfort. So the Word of God has the ability to counsel, to comfort. Also, God's Word has the ability to convict. When Jesus promised the apostles that after His death, the Holy Spirit would be given to them, He said the Holy Spirit would convict people of righteousness, sin, and the judgment to come. How would He do that? Through His Word. Pentecost Day, those people were convicted by the message they heard, that is, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Bible says they were cut, pricked in their hearts. And then the Bible not only convicts, but it converts because they ask the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Here's what Peter said, repent 
And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. We talk about God's Word having the ability, the aim of the Word of God. And the aim is to make us complete and what we ought to be in the eyes of God. Pentecost Day, you had people who were incomplete, who needed a Savior. They obeyed the gospel. God added them to the church. What about confidence? Can I glean confidence from reading and studying this book? This morning we talked about tears. There have been a lot of folks that have shed a lot of tears in days gone by. There have been people that have buried their loved ones. Some are staring death in the face. So you're telling me that as a child of God, I can have confidence in my relationship to God? That I can stand assured that if I walk in the light, as He's in the light, I fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus is constantly working in my life? That's right. You're telling me that when I come to the end of this road in life, that I don't have to wonder about my salvation, I don't have to question what if, because John said, these things I've written to you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. You mean to say that I can know that I have eternal life? That's right. John said he wrote these things to do what? To inspire confidence. Think about all the blessings and favors that we enjoy from God. How do you know God's forgiven you of sin? I mean, can you, really, can you really say God has forgiven you? Don't we have confidence in knowing that what God has said about forgiveness, He'll hold true to? If God said, this is what I want you to do, and if you comply with this, then you enter the kingdom of God, you enjoy forgiveness of sin. So if I do that, you mean to tell me that I don't have to worry about sin in my life? That's right. I can be forgiven. Well, what about prayer? How do I know that God hears and listens to my prayers? John said, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, listen to Him, He hears us. So the aim of Scripture, the aim of Scripture is to counsel, to comfort, to convict, to convert, to build confidence so that we, like Paul, can say, for we know that if this earthly house, this tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. When this body gives way to death, I know there's something better on the other side. And I know based upon 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one day the body that's placed in the grave will rise again. I can know that. There is a fourth thing I would share with you. Really, this is incredibly important. It has to do with the application of Scripture. I want you to think about this for a minute. This book is a great book. And we've talked about the aim of Scripture, the psalmist's affection for Scripture. We've talked about his awe of Scripture. But this book will not profit us one bit if we don't take it and internalize it and live it out every day in our lives. It's not going to help us. not going to bless us. There are a lot of people in our world today, their lives are upside down. They're living in a state of chaos. They have no direction in life. They are rudderless. And the reason is because 
they have left this book closed. Now I think about the availability of Scripture. We're not living in the dark ages. We are living in an enlightened era. We can read. We can write. We have access to the Word of God. I would, I would imagine that most, house, most households have at least one copy of Scripture. Now, maybe it's not as prevalent as it once was. But we have access to the Word of God. The problem is not that we don't have availability to Scripture. The problem is we don't take it and apply it to life. Listen to what James said. James said in James chapter 1, verse 22, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. What we have to understand is, God has given us His Word to better our lives, to bless our lives, to help our lives. We are living in a day and time when a lot of folks, quite frankly, they have this idea that you can take or leave the Bible. Really not that relevant. It's got a lot of good stuff. It's got some practical advice, some helpful advice. But it's really not that important to making your life what it ought to be. And there are a lot of folks, they have misconceptions about Jesus, don't they? I mean, we talk about Jesus. And there are a lot of folks in our world today, their perception of Jesus is skewed. And you know why? Because they're looking at Jesus through worldly lens, through secular lens rather than through scriptural lens. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Or maybe let me explain. I think that there are a lot of people in our world today that have this idea that Jesus dealt, well, that Jesus wasn't dogmatic, wasn't emphatic in His teaching. That is not the case. Now, there are a lot of people in our world today, they'll tell you, you can't be too dogmatic about certain things. And you can't really say this or that because, after all, absolute truth is out the door. I want you to just listen to what Jesus said about, for example, His identity. Now, we talk about applying Scripture, making application to our lives. How imperative is it that we take the Word of God, listen attentively, and then apply it to our daily lives? Here's what Jesus said. Except you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Do you think that there are a lot of folks in the world today that would say, you know what, I, I mean, I understand Jesus was a good man, that He's incredibly compassionate and kind and loving and merciful, and He was always going about doing good, and did a lot of good stuff. But I'm not sure I buy into the Son of God stuff. Listen again to what Jesus said. Except you believe that I am. He said, you will die in your sins. You mean to tell me I've got to believe Jesus Christ is a living God or I will die in sin? That's exactly right. That's not up for debate. We're not going to quibble about it because that's exactly what Jesus said. With regard to salvation, are there not people in the world today that will tell you, you know what, you, you go your path, I'll go my path. You serve your God, I'll serve my God. We'll all end up at the same place. Sounds like America to me, doesn't it? 
And yet Jesus said, listen to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What are you saying, Jesus? Jesus is saying, I am the absolute way, I'm the absolute truth, I'm the absolute life. If you want to enjoy a relationship with God the Father, it runs right through me. Sounds pretty dogmatic to me. It is dogmatic. It's emphatic. And what the Lord said there will stand until the end of time. The apostles said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Let's see somebody endorse that from a political platform today. Be suicidal, wouldn't it? It's what Jesus said. And let me tell you what, what Jesus said will stand. Now we talk about making application to our lives. You're telling me then that I've got to believe Jesus to be the Son of God? That I've got to understand that He is the Savior of the world? That's what John said. We've seen and testify the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 1 John 4, 14. You mean to tell me that salvation is exclusive to Jesus Christ? There is no other salvation available anywhere else? It's exactly right. And if I don't make application of that, I'll die in my sins. And Jesus said, if I die in my sins, where He is, I cannot come. Dogmatic, narrow-minded, old-fashioned, however you want to style it. That's what the Bible says. And by the way, Paul said salvation's in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. And what I read in the Bible, the only way to get into Christ Jesus is to be baptized into Christ Jesus. Won't you listen to what Jesus said, one of His milder statements. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You mean to tell me, unless I believe and am baptized into Christ, I can't be saved? What did Jesus say? Did He mean what He said? Did He say what He meant? You know, we have this idea today that we can just pick and choose, cafeteria style. Either the Lord meant what He said and He meant for us to make application, or He didn't. Jesus said salvation is in Christ, or rather in Himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul said salvation is in Christ, and Jesus said only those who believe and are baptized will enjoy salvation. On Pentecost Day, when the church began, the apostles had the keys of the kingdom of heaven, didn't they? Matthew 16. Verse 18, Matthew 18, 18. Wouldn't it stand to reason that if we want to become what they were in the first century, we would do what they did? So when those people cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, here's what you need to do. Number one, you need to repent. Number two, you need to be baptized. Number three, you will enjoy a remission or forgiveness of your sins. That sounds pretty dogmatic to me. You mean to tell me that not only was Jesus dogmatic, but the apostles were dogmatic in their teaching? That's exactly right. Well, what about the church? We hear a lot of people talk about the church today. How many times have you seen the bumper sticker, join the church of your choice? In the world today, people say it doesn't really matter. Is that true? True or false? Well, how do I know that? That's it. Jesus said, based upon the statement made by Peter that He was the Christ, the Son of the living God, He said, I say unto you, Peter, that upon this rock I will build my church. 
Now wait a minute. You're telling me, Lord, that you're going to build the church? That there's only one church and that one church belongs to you? Hear him again. I will build my church. So how many churches are there? Paul said there is one body and one spirit, even as you were called and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all, through all and in you all. Well, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. So you're telling me then, unless I submit to the authoritative words of Christ, unless I'm baptized into Christ and become a member of the one church, I don't have any hope. What did the Bible say? Are we going to follow what the Bible says or what people say? What's going to judge us on the last day? What I think? What you think? What the majority says? The Constitution? No, listen to Jesus. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. Is that dogmatic? You better believe it. Do you remember in Revelation chapter 20 when John said, I saw the dead small and great standing before God and the books were opened? What books? God's Word. And John is saying on that great and final day, God's going to open this book and He's going to judge our lives. And here's what James said. So speak and so do as those that will be judged by the law of liberty. You mean to tell me then I need to make application of this book in my life? This book needs to govern my speech, my thoughts, my daily deeds. That's exactly right. Is that too dogmatic? Too narrow-minded? Too old-fashioned? Too hard-hearted to simply say what Jesus and the apostles said? You know, we've gotten in this world so far removed from what Scripture says that in many cases we wouldn't know the truth if it slapped us in the face, would we? There are a lot of folks, they have no idea what the Bible says. And yet this is the very book that's going to judge us. Listen to what Paul said. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know what he's saying there? You take God's Word, you internalize it, you make application and live it out every day. James said we're to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. We are to put into practice the simple teaching of Jesus. Didn't Jesus ask the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, do not the things which I say? And didn't Jesus say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of the Father which is in heaven? So you're telling me that I've got to take this book and make application to my life. That this book will get me from here to heaven. That's exactly right. This is the only book that I know that will get you where you need to be in eternity. That's it. There's not another book. So here's my question. Is God's Word a lamp to your feet and a light under your pathway? There are a lot of people in our world today, they're groping in spiritual darkness. And I, 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 I understand. There are a lot of folks, they reject the Word of God, they're not interested. And they'll pay for that one day. God says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, the promise being I'll give you rest. God's interest is in the salvation of humanity. God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we ask the question, how imperative is truth? Solomon said again, buy the truth and sell it not. So what about you? Is the Word of God operative in your life? 
If we don't open this book and live accordingly, could I just say this? We're going we're gonna to miss heaven by more than a country mile. We can't afford to, my, to not make application of this book to our lives. So tonight I ask you, are you a Christian? Do you believe that what Jesus said is true? Do you believe that one day you're going to give an account of how you've lived here? And that the standard that's going to be used is this book. Do you believe that? My prayer would be, if you're here tonight and you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, that you would do that this hour. The only way to get safely home is to be safely guided. And this is the book. So tonight, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, you believe He's the Son of God, you need to repent, confess His name, be immersed, let Him add you to the church, and then be faithful. And one day enjoy the blessings of heaven. If you're here tonight and your life's not what it ought to be and you need the prayers of the church, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon whatever sin might be in your life. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love